Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrived, he treats me like a commodity. Give me a speck on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old, don't know value. Welcome, everybody, to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about customer perceived value and all the things it takes all around the company to design, build, grow, sell, and price customer perceived value. Today, I'm really happy to have David Petz on. Uh, David is a chief revenue officer with experience in a couple of different industries. David, welcome. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey um, and how they can get a hold of you? Sure. Yeah. No, um, probably the easiest way is on LinkedIn. Um, you know, I, I don't know that there are many David Pets, but uh, David Pets on LinkedIn. Um, um, but yeah, my journey, um, you know, really revolves around working for four different companies, um, two very large companies. The, you know, started off with a company called Compact that was eventually acquired by um, HP and then Nokia, both of which were, you know, tens of thousands of people, you know, tens of billions of dollars, um, global organizations. Uh, two smaller companies, um, Shortel and Shutterstock, uh, both similar um, sort of sizes when I was with them, you know, low, low to mid hundreds of millions. So not, not super small, but smaller um, and about a thousand people. I've always been on the customer facing side. Well, apart from the very, very beginning, which I can barely remember, but way back when I was sort of more on the operational side, supply chain and so forth. But um, for the, I recognized pretty quickly that the, the exciting side of the business, at least from my perspective, was uh, the customer facing side. So I've been in that ever since. I've uh, run sales teams that have spanned the gamut from uh, large, complex um, solutions with long sales cycles sold to enterprise-oriented uh, customers, all the way through to you know fairly small ticket items, high velocity, um, you know more of a sort of outbound uh, contact center kind of environment, and everything in between, both direct selling and selling with with channel partners. Um, so I'm looking forward to uh, chatting with you about some of the, the the things about engaging with customers. Well, and I'm, I'm excited about this too. I love to have somebody with your background, your experience, and we actually have some shared experience. I was, uh, uh, when I made my transition from the operations, I was in product management, then product marketing, and then in sales. Um, and so the job where I made most of that transition was as the product manager, then product marketing manager for the first carrier class voice over IP business, uh, voice over IP product in the world. And I developed the first product roadmap for the first unified communications platform, just as ideas for things it could do, uh, not even designing, not even designing hardware, but just designing capable, you know, software and user capabilities. Yeah, I, I, I love those sort of disruptive periods I and mean, the sort of the, the VoIP um, you know, explosion, obviously, you're, you're referring to my time, at least at Shortel, which is, um, you know, uh, unified communications um, yep. company. Um, yeah, that, that, those are always um, exciting times because you're, you know, what you're selling is not just creating a, a, a business benefit, you know, to the customer, 
um, but also you know reshaping the ways in which you know um, sort of legacy older processes are done. So that sort of IP exposure or, or voice. Yeah, it, yeah, it was it was a fun disrupt, a fun way to to shake up a company that was thinking this is about cheap phone service, and we ended up walking. When I walked out the door, it was about increased user capabilities and and connecting people in better fashion which obviously has a lot more value than cheap yeah no good for you and i it's funny sort of semi parallel kind of um piece you know while i was at shorter we went uh, we took the company through a a huge transformation from being an on-premise value proposition so selling the obviously equipment and perpetual licenses um, to becoming a SaaS provider, you know, and you mentioned Centrix earlier was, you know, of course, a sort of service provider oriented um, option for, for a lot of, in a lot of cases. But, um, you know, that, that journey was, was pretty interesting. But, you know, just making it available as a SaaS um, solution was, was challenging, but um, obviously the way to go. Yeah, you know, that kind of gets us to something I did want to talk about with you. And that is that SaaS, I've, I've heard this from some other VPs of sales. Um, that have worked in the SaaS area. And one of the great things is you're no longer selling purely as an IT sale, you're selling the business use to the business department and the business users. Um, One of the downsides is that it is less sticky because as a hosted service, uh, it's a lot easier to disengage than when you're selling big iron and software. Um, I, w- I would say perception, um, that's a perception, but I'm not sure that it's the reality. And, and I say that in the context of, um, I'll use the, the, you know, the Unified Communication Solutions um, as an example. Um, for sure, there are SaaS solutions that get sold more to a line of business that can be deployed on a small team um, you know, and expanded you know, without involving IT. But in the case of UC, for example, um, it would be suboptimal for a company to have multiple different UC su- solutions that can't you know, communicate effectively with each other, different, sure. users, different platforms. So if you go through the, the um, adoption process of, of getting a solution on board and getting all of your employees and teams trained, um, you're familiar with using it and so forth, sure, you can change it whenever you want because it's SaaS um, and, and there's minimal sort of um, internal setup. But there's a huge adoption, not huge, but there's a significant adoption curve that's been gone through. And, and so there's an opportunity cost of going through all that again, if you, if you want to. So it's, I'd say it's definitely easier, but it's not, you know, so replaceable, you know. Yeah, I, I, I totally buy that. And I always wondered why Microsoft and, and Apple and all the, uh, PC manufacturers kept on updating their Windows and their Apple user interface because their number one strategic advantage was the installed base of trained users. And every time you change your user interface and make people learn the new version of Windows, you're creating... I think, I, I think that's part of where you know, um, customer success teams are so critical. Um, you know, so if you if one doesn't maintain sort of feature um, rollouts and and you know user base enhancements and and sometimes their major upgrades as you were sort of describing in this sort of Microsoft um, whichever one you want to pick you know um, <laughs> but but if you don't introduce those then you're going to um, see competitors come in with you know, the latest and greatest you know user interface and and um, uh, feature sets that then creates a risk so it's sort of a double-edged sword you know it, it, sure. 
thing with a SaaS solution in my mind um, that that you have to keep on selling, um, you know, and you, in, which is different than a, a capital equipment purchase that you know is depreciated over multiple years. That is, you know, can be ripped and replaced, but that's a, a very different proposition. And so I'm not saying you're completely safe and not vulnerable, but that's the sort of once every several years you need to yeah. make sure you come in and get the renewal or the upgrade or you know re, you know update the equipment where needed. Yeah. But with SaaS, you've got to be continuously selling because you've got to be continuously um, the customer's got to continuously get value and and not you didn't roll out any features and someone else has just shown me something that's much more sexy than yours now. So I'm considering that. Yeah, you're, you're right. You have to uh, maintain some evergreenness. Um, and, but you really touched on something that I think is, is very important. That is, you have to keep selling and your customer success. And I, I, I guess my question, first of all, is, is customer success a department or is it a group of, of roles that coordinate? Uh, because there's a bunch of people that touch the customer that, could be thought of as customer success. So is, can, is customer success a department or a thought process? Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> um, I, I, I would say, um, you know, arguably both. Um, I think there's a thought process that in order to um, continuously delight uh, a customer, you need to be customer centric you know, throughout all touch points with the customer. And that, that, um, you know, is equally true if you have to do any sort of form of on-site implementation, then the people that are representing the company and doing that need to have customer centricity in mind, they need to you know, create a good impression and, and leave a good sense in the customer's mind. Um, you know, the customer success as a function or as a team is more around, um, it's, it's a different name in some ways for account managers. And it's so it's the maybe the entry point or the official um, you know, engagement point between the ongoing relationship with the customer and, and the vendor, the, the, the company that, that sold them the uh, solution in the first place. But, the, but all of the other touch points that happen between those two entities need to have a customer centricity, I believe. No, I, I agree. I, I am a big believer in, and I came to this honestly when I was at Miller Hyman, that account management is a multidisciplinary effort. It is not a department. Um, and they, somebody just told me this, you gave me this, rather than a single point of contact, you zipper yourself together with multiple <laughs> parallel points of contact uh, between counterpart experts in the company. And you might have a quarterback, you might have a coordination point, but the relationship is tighter, better, stronger if you zipper together and you have that inverted bow tie rather than the bow tie. Yeah, although, um, yeah, it's an interesting way of thinking about it. And I, I like the sort of analogy you're trying to, you know, or the visual you're trying to paint, which is, you know, you need to be connected at multiple points, not just at, at, at sort of random points or single points. Um, you know, conversely, I would say maybe a different image. Um, but you know, oftentimes I think of the account manager as sort of a cog in in a, in a an engine, and you might have the the gearbox as the customer and the power you know plant, if you like, uh, as the you know whatever the right terminology is. Yep. But that but that that cog in the middle um, is is accessing, and maybe it's an hourglass, might be a better uh, sort of visual. 
but yeah. the, out, the point in the middle is able to access many other parts of the company on behalf of the customer, try to simplify that interface because the thing with the zip analogy, and, and the, there's going to be elements of multiple touch points, you know, over yeah. time you're going to build relationships, but you don't really want the customer ha have to figure out all the different pieces of, of my company and all the different, you know, who does what, where, and how to get stuff done. So it's almost like the account manager sort of like a concierge, you know, I, I'll take care of your issue. I'll solve your problem. I know where to go to, to, you know, um, give you the information you're looking for or help you solve your problem. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I think when that account manager is the quarterback, the account manager is ultimately responsible. Um, you can have those, those one, those peer to peer relationships, uh, as long as you effectively loop that that manager in and you develop a functional team that loops him in and makes sure that he knows the critical information in real time but has access to all information in near real time uh, yeah. then, then you've got a functional relationship but if you've got uh, a series of cowboys out there doing things that are aren't, aren't coordinated and you don't have uh, a unified coherent account strategy with what we're trying to accomplish and how we're trying to position, yeah, things could fall apart, you know. Yeah, I, I, that, that's a, uh, absolutely, I totally agree, you know, the, the, the quarterback, I don't know how many different analogies we can use, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've just made metaphor salad. Yeah, there you go. Um, but, but certainly um, the notion that there should be relevant, you know, um, other connect points in the company, it might be a, you know, a product manager or, or a, an engineering expert that's, that's connected directly with a senior technical person at, at the customer. Um, but your point about um, keeping the uh, quarterback informed at all times is, is critical. Absolutely. Um, so here's something that is Mark Boundy's point of view, and that is there is a level, there's multiple levels of, and the, the buzzword now is customer experience. And there's, um, random let customer experience take care of itself, which is level zero. Uh, then there's the first level of purposeful customer experience management, which is um, don't screw anything up. Get everybody trained up to the point where they are not the weak link. So you're playing not to lose. Uh, then there's a level two customer experience, which is we train everybody to delight. We empower them within some scope of their their job to to go beyond policy and, and to give and to, to delight the customers. And there's a level three customer experience, which is pretty rare. And that is where you do all of those plus uh, everybody who touches the customer is able to have at least rudimentary business conversation about outcomes that you could deliver to the customer. Because when you have all those well-coordinated peer-to-peer relationships, uh, there are trusted relationships that sales cannot and will not ever be able to replicate. And in today's world, there are more of those than there ever were. I think there's there's an opportunity if we let everybody who is in contact with the customer at least have some rudimentary business conversations, do discovery, and then whatever you discover, bring back to the hive so your account manager can can use that as leverage. Yeah, I, I think that's um, I, I I certainly understand that um, point of view, and I agree with it to a large degree. I think there are some challenges in terms of enabling that to, to, to be done and done well. 
Yeah. Um, but I will say this, um, in my experience at least, there are multiple touch points that are non-salespeople um, that actually can elicit a great deal more information through through discovery conversations than, than a salesperson is able to. And I'll sort of say why. Um, you know, there are um, certainly people within customers that when, it, when someone comes in with a sales title, feels like they're always being sold to and they um, clam up a little bit. Um, whereas uh, I, I think of, you know, um, even this, this is sort of a, a, a variant on that theme, but solution architects, you know, are oftentimes or more often than not part of a, a sales organization. Yep. But their title and their sort of um, role is much more of a sort of technical expert on how to you know, architect the solution, how it all comes together, you know, what it does, what the, you know. And, and so I've seen customers open up with SAs um, a lot more than they perhaps will with the account executive. Um, and I think that same thing you know, is true of a product manager or of a, um, you know, even a, uh, I, I mean, I struggle maybe a little bit with the notion that an accounts receivable person calling to <laughs> chase some, some debt um, you know, or outstanding balance you know, um, is in a good position to do discovery, but nevertheless, there might be. You know, why, why, aren't, why aren't you paying? What, you know, help me understand what, what the challenges are and you know, it might lead to a, a gap in the, the solution adoption. Yeah, um, you know, yeah. So and as you said, there are people that uh, uh, have a have trust and have trust with people that sales never have. Um, I developed a list once of about 28 or 30 different roles that I've seen as customer facing roles. And I think my record is one client having 15 out of those 28 or 30, but uh, there's 28 or 30. So I have this exercise I've done a couple of times with clients say, pick all the roles out of this list in your company touch your customers in some meaningful way and put each one on a slip of paper and now stack rank them from the highest trust that your customer has in those people to the lowest trust and put a, a different color highlighter on the ones that are sales and you notice that your salespeople are in the bottom third of that trust stack rank so Tell me more about why you haven't gotten these high trust relationships more involved in client success and discovery. I'm not saying it's necessarily as extreme as that, but I, I do think that there's a, um, a mistrust sometimes of sales folk. They're, you know, they're just pushing for their month end. They've got targets to hit. They don't really, you know, they're, they're, they're about themselves. And I, and I, I think that's unfair. Uh, um, and, you know, for sure, in, from my perspective, that the best salespeople um, only really sell stuff that they truly believe in, and they believe in it because it's going. You know, there's this sort of old notion that salespeople are coin operated, and there's an element. Of course, salespeople want to earn money, but they they're much more, in my opinion, motivated by being successful. And successful means you know winning in the marketplace, growing market share in their company, having more and more you know. Um, uh, you know, an increased customer count uh, uh, and happy customers. And so that, that success uh, is dependent on doing a good job for their customers, selling them something that is going to deliver business value that is you know, useful. So th the issue is customers often have a perception that, that that's not at the heart of what they're trying to do. All they really care about is getting their commission and moving on.
Yeah, I have not found very many salespeople who are truly that coin-operated salesperson. And that most of the people I have worked with in, the, in my history uh, have generally wanted to be that consultant, that valued resource. Um, the problem is they didn't know how. They didn't know how to learn about their customer's business. They didn't become that consultant. Yeah, I think that's, um, that's um, you know, perhaps some of that is self-inflicted by absolutely. Now, a, long, a long period of people, you know, sales methodologies and sales um, education saying, hey, here are all the features that you can go talk about. And, and it evolved from features to benefits a little bit, but the benefit was fairly loose. It wasn't so much a business benefit. It was more of a, a workflow benefit, you know, which ultimately yeah. can translate. So I think that as salespeople, as we as an industry and as, as companies, you know, are more comprehensive about how they empower and, and enable and educate the, you know, the good salespeople to have those business conversations and talk about business benefits. What's this going to do to your, your revenue stream, your customer attention, your bottom line performance? That's where you know, the, the trust, trust will skyrocket when you start to see that. Oh, man. Yeah, you're talking my language. Um, it's all about the customer's outcome. And uh, having been a product manager, a product marketing manager, uh, I see a huge gap in a lot of companies in their product training because the product training in so many companies is features, maybe benefits, but certainly specs and performance and, and speeds and feeds. Um, and not the customer outcomes that all of that stuff delivers because the customer's only buying their outcome. So the customer is thinking in the language of outcome and we're talking to them in the language of features. And then we expect the customer to translate our feature language into their outcomes. Rather than what elite sellers do is translate it into the language of outcomes and the average performers and the new performers and the people who always lose to no decision, those are the ones that expect the customer to do the translation for them. Yeah, um, and I think this is, you know, that it's not a binary thing. Um, oh. there, there are degrees of, of where this is appropriate and, and, you know, places where it's less appropriate. And, and I say that in the context of, um, you know, there are a lot of, if you think about selling to an IT department or an IT decision maker, um, they typically, and I'm not saying this is always the case, but typically a project will be um, first sold internally. We need to, to roll out you know, a solution to do X, Y, Z, because it's going to deliver this benefit to us as a, as a, you know, as a company and the sort of ROI on this. And, and they go through those approvals and the company goes, yeah, okay, we're prepared to make that investment. Then the task of the IT organization is to go out and find the best technical um, fit for that, that already, you know, um, business benefit, you know, justified solution. And so then trying to, you know, that, that what they're, then they start to become interested in, well, what are the features? What are the fees? What are the speeds? Because I'm just evaluating, you know, um, solution A versus B versus C versus D. Um, well, you're, you're, so, yeah. you know, it, and I'm not saying you should still, I think, always strive to sort of talk about the business benefit, um, you know, even with, with a sort of, pre, even in that kind of environment I just described. No, you're absolutely right. Thanks for calling that out. There are always functional experts in a B2B sale that are not interested in the business benefit, they are interested in some criteria. They are criteria manager, where IT manages a set of IT security, interoperability, training, support, 
resource utilization. Uh, purchasing manages a, a manages the buying process. Legal manages terms and conditions. So right. there are a whole set of functional experts, and you have to sell the functional thing that they are they are looking for and you have to uh, meet their needs because those people can say no but aren't the ones who say yes so right. you're absolutely right that you need to you need to make sure that you're talking to them but if i were talking in the finalist presentation or in some big introductory presentation um my my preferred approach when possible is to say you've given us all these requirements and we meet them, basically you're gonna yada yada. It's like, yes, we meet them and I'd like to take your functional experts off offline and we'll go through the functional experts. But where we're really differentiated is what I wanna to talk to you about today. And so I don't wanna dismiss those folks. I wanna make sure we do that, but let's not bore you all with the boring, we meet the minimum specs. Cause that's not differentiation, that's just, differentiating you from the people who got kicked out of the process um so let's that, that, that's kind of my preferred approach yeah no I, I totally agree but i and i also think it's um it goes back to where you you know you touched on earlier which is um increasingly there are applications many 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 applications that are um you know who can be deployed to even a subset of a team um, then a team, then maybe even a whole department, and that, then it may creep out. And so no longer, I mean, it's, it's a long time ago that, you know, all sort of technical, all um, solutions were um, deployed via IT. You know, that's long yep. gone. Um, and so I think, you know, increasingly when you, you do need to start and and you, um, you just you, uh, you uh, just drive home out. and finish with the yeah, David you just you just brought dropped out and so you you, you I, I lost you at increasingly you do need so if you could start there again yeah so increasingly you do need to start with the business benefit reiterate the business benefit and end with the business benefit when you when you're pushing you know a sale into a um, you know a department a team then that's where the focus needs to be no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I, I think we're I think we're agreeing violently. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, David, what a great conversation. Is there anything else you want to that has come up um, in your mind or anything you want to make sure that you get out before we before we cut this? Yeah, no, I think the only you, you know, obviously we've, we've talked a lot about um, the style of selling and the, you know, the, the different touch points and the importance of being able to do discovery and, and be joined at join joining up the dots between all the different interactions you have with customers so that everyone's well informed. Um, I think there's also a lot of you know, we may maybe maybe a subject for another time, but there's a lot to be said about what are the different you know, what are those different touch points in the company? How do they work together? Who has what accountability where, you know, as well as the how do we all keep each other on on the same page? Um, you know, and um, you know, I remember one time, I you know, actually one of the larger companies I worked for, there was a lot of functions, departments, so forth, and, and there were a lot of handoffs. And it was, you know, this old expression, you know, matrix management, we're, we're living in a matrix, and all of which is true and, and somewhat unavoidable, you know, eventually as companies get bigger. But the, the um, point that was made was, it's all about the handoff between, you know, points. And if you, those are all the opportunities to drop, drop the ball, where, you know, particularly in a customer facing organization. 
And when you drop the ball for the customer, all hell breaks loose. And so, you know, that, that may be a discussion for another time is how do you keep it, you know, fluid, moving, that no one drops the ball, that the handoffs are all done well, everybody knows what they're trying to do and, and has flexibility to, you know, there's no black and white edges between those different departments. And so, oh man, let's, yeah, let's talk about uh, the, the silo issue and the silos. <laughs> um, I, when I was at Lucent, it was nothing but silos. And I came to think of uh, all the different organizational silos as just creating cracks for stuff to fall between. Yep. David, what a great conversation. Thanks a lot for your time today. Um, I appreciate it. Why don't you give us your contact information so if people want to talk with you and, and kind of uh, get the, the benefit of your wisdom directly, then they know how to get a hold of you. Yeah, no, no problem. They're probably the two, two best ways, um, you know, obviously connect with me on LinkedIn or message me on LinkedIn. Um, I should be fairly easy to find. So, so David Petz on, on LinkedIn, of course. Um, but, you know, alternatively, uh, use my uh, personal email is probably easy. It's dapets at gmail.com. So DA for David, but dapets at, at gmail.com. David, thank you very much. And thanks for joining us on the Value Clarity Podcast, where we believe that value is all in your customer's mind, which means your success with your customer is all in your customer's head. Thanks and have a high value day. Well, it ain't easy, cause value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're gonna drive both of you insane. And if you ignore your customer's outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues, cause you'll be singing those old, don't know value blues. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.